Well, good morning again. Welcome to the Bridge Church, reaching people like you. Um, for those of you don't, that may not know me, I'm, I'm Hillary Lynn. I'm a chaplain in Civil Air Patrol, and my wife and I work with Youth with a Mission. And for some reason, they let me share this morning. It's, <laughs> it's frightening and very cool. Um, I just love getting into God's Word and just learning and exploring more of who God is and what He says. Uh, it's, it's pretty neat. I want to look at, at Acts chapter 2 today, and we're going to dig into uh, specifically Acts or, uh, 242. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So that's what we're going to dig into. But before we get into that too deep, I want to kind of set the stage of of what was going on here at this time, what was happening, and, and just give us a little bit of uh, a context so we understand what, what was going on there. And I'll start in Acts 2, verse 5. It says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem. I'm going to stop right there because I can see some shocked looks on your faces of, of just amazement and revelation. Who would have imagined that there would be Jewish people living in Jerusalem? I hear you. I, you know, it's, it's, it's revelational, isn't it? It's amazing. But, but look at what it says after that. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Even back then, that was a lot of places. Why, why would that be? Why would there be so many people from every nation under heaven, not, not just from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but, but beyond that. Well, let's, let's look at it. There, in the Bible, there are three, well, there's lots of different feasts and festivals, but there are three specific, what they call pilgrim feasts or pilgrim festivals. One of those is Passover, and Passover commemorates the exodus out of Egypt when God sets the people free from the bondage of slavery in Egypt and delivers them across the Red Sea and, and on their way to the Promised Land. So that's what Passover does. It's one of the three pilgrim feasts that they have. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Sukkot, um, is another pilgrim feast that reminds them of the time they spent wandering in the desert, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, living in little tents or huts or whatever they could find or make. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles rem reminds them of that time, and that's another one of the pilgrim feasts. And the other one is the Feast of Shavuot, or Pentecost, as, as we call it. And that doesn't really, it's not a, a thing to remember back to something that God did, like, like Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. It's, it's um, kind of set around the agricultural calendar uh, in those days, especially around the harvest and because of that, it's, it's known as one of the first fruits celebrations, where they, they celebrate the first fruits of, of the barley or the wheat or whatever, whatever it is. And, and that's, that's really important. It's, it's kind of a key to, to what's going on. And they, they use that time to thank God for His provision, because God is our provider. Amen? So that's part of what that is. It's an agricultural uh, celebration or an event. We just, what was it, yesterday, we have, what, Spud Days here, here in Idaho. Well, it was down in, what, Shelley, is it? I think it's Shelley. But that's an agricultural 
celebration. It's part of, of the Idaho culture. I don't know if they have it in other places, but here in Idaho, they, we have a spud day, and it's to focus on the, the uh, potato crop and the harvest and things like that. So that's what uh, Pentecost was all about. It was, it was part of one of those first fruits celebrations that they had. Now, there's something interesting about Shavuot or, or Pentecost, and, and Shavuot literally means Feast of Weeks. And what they would do is, starting from Passover, and again, Passover remembers the time in Egypt, from Passover they would count seven weeks, which is 49 days. And then after the 49th day, they would have the celebration on the 50th day. And 50th, that's where we get Penta, which means 50th, Pentecost. That's where that name comes from. Um, but in the Hebrew, it's the Feast of Weeks. And there's this idea of, of waiting, of, of anticipation. And there's this counting down from Passover. You've got, all right, now we've got 49 days. And in the Jewish culture, they, 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 they have this counting of the Omer and all these things. And all, there's all this stuff that they do that keeps moving forward with anticipation to the next feast, to the feast of Pentecost, of, of, of weeks. And it's, it's a very interesting thing. And they celebrate the first fruits. Now, the other interesting thing about it was God told them about this uh, at Mount Sinai when God was giving them the law and the commandments and the Torah and the instructions, all these things that God was, was sharing with them uh, on Mount Sinai. But they didn't celebrate Pentecost 39, 49, 59 days later, they had to wait over 40 years because they're out in the desert. They are not planting. They're not sowing, watering, reaping. There's no harvest. There's just manna. And last time I checked, picking manna up off the ground doesn't technically qualify as reaping a harvest. It's nice fast food. It's great, but it was not a harvest. It was God's provision. So they had to wait for over 40 years before they could celebrate this. Some people say they actually waited 49 years because by the time they got in at 40 years and then they still had to go in and occupy the land and it took time. There's no way of knowing if that was exactly the case, but it could be. In God's economy and the way God works things out, I would not be surprised, but we don't know that as a, at least I don't know that as an absolute fact. But they did have to wait and there was this anticipation of celebrating the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. The other things that, that they have looked at, and when, they, when uh, scholars look at the whole timeline coming um, out of Egypt all the way until they got to Mount Sinai, what God gave them the Torah, that was in the spring. That was about 50 days later. And there's... there's uh, uh, information in Exodus 12 and 19, Second Chronicles 15. There's also some uh, other non-biblical books like uh, the Talmud and the, a book called the Targum. And there's, there's references to that as well, that the law that God gave the children of Israel on Mount Sinai was 50 days after Passover, after they had come out of Egypt, which is really neat. It's really, really cool. And we'll see the significance of that more here in just a minute. So, 50 days after Passover, there was the, the Torah given to the, the children of Israel in the desert, and they had to wait another 40-plus years 
before they could actually celebrate that in the land at their first harvest. So that's kind of the, the setting. That's the scenario of why everybody's there. They're there to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits. And there was people from all over the place. Verse 9 says there was uh, uh, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. There was a lot of people there from a lot of different places. And you've heard people say that, you know, America is a melting pot. That was a melting pot too. There were people from all over the world in that region that were there. And they were there on one of the pilgrim feasts. That's why there were so many Jewish people from so many different places. And they were there for that celebration. And as we know, they waited in the upper room and eventually the Holy Spirit came down. There was tongues of fire and they started speaking in tongues. And all these people from all these different places, they're hearing people speaking in their own language about the really great and wonderful things that God was doing. And they're saying, how is this possible? These aren't educated people. They're fishermen and, and, and how do they know our language? God knew their language. And so there's all this commotion and chaos going on and people wondering, what's going on? What's happening here? And a lot of people start saying, well, they're just drunk. That's just, you know, it's no big deal. But Peter stands up and kind of gives a defense of that and explains what's going on. And in Acts 2, starting in verse 14, says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And then he begins to quote the book of Joel, says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Joel had said so many years prior to this. And Peter continues and says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Ouch. So, Peter took this and wrapped it up into one neat little package and said, this is what's going on. Joel prophesied about this and said it was going to happen, 
and it happened, and not only were you a witness to it, you were part of it. Because Scripture said that the Messiah must come and he must die for our sins. And he was put to death by the hands of godless men, the Romans, the Gentiles, and all, these, all the Jewish people had a part in that as well. It was a team effort. And he was basically telling them, you're guilty of this. You, you helped put him to death, this Messiah that we've been waiting for. And it continues in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did. They repented. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and about 3,000 people got saved that day. And it didn't stop there. As, as you go through the book of Acts, people kept getting saved daily. One time it says there was 5,000 people that got saved. There were several other times it just said many people, more people, lots of people. It just kept growing. It was an explosion. It was a revival. And people were getting saved left, right, and center. And it was an amazing time. And in Acts 2.42, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so I want to look at that because this is the context of what, what was going on. The, the prophecies of Joel and others were, were fulfilled right there in their midst. They were seeing it. They were hearing it. They were experiencing it. And it was like, wow, everything that prophet Joel said it's right here, right now. We're, we're in it. It's not just somewhere else and we heard about it on CNN or we heard about it through the grapevine or whatever. We're in the middle of it. How amazing would that be? Absolutely incredible. So it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And one thing I've learned, a, a gentleman years and years ago told me something that I've, I've always remembered. He says, you know, it's really good to look and see what the Bible says. But sometimes it's also good to look and see what it does not say, or perhaps what's implied, because you can, you can discern a lot of interesting things there. And in here it says that, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The implication there, at least as far as I can see, is that they were devoted to learning. Because before we devote ourselves to a teaching, We've got to be devoted to learning. We have to be hungry to learn. You can have someone teaching you all day long, but if you don't have a, a desire or will to learn, you know, it'll go in one ear and out the other. And, you know, it, it, it does you no good. But the, the desire to learn and being devoted to learning is an important thing. Now, most of us don't really appreciate that or grab a hold of that until after we graduate from high school. At least I didn't. Right? When I was in high school, I was not devoted to learning. I was compelled to learn. I, I really didn't have any choice. It's like, you will go to school and you will learn. And say, like, mm, yes, ma'am. 
And, you know, but I wasn't devoted to it. And there were very few students that were. Well, there was probably some. I mean, you, you know who they are, right? All the, 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 the studious type that go home with, you know, a stack of books each night, like my sister did. She was devoted to learning. I was not. And now those people that were devoted to learning are probably working at NASA studying, you know, sub-quantum mechanics and theoretical physics, physics and all those 15-syllable Star Trek words, you know, because they're devoted to learning. They were devoted from a very young age, and my sister, every night, should bring home a stack of books. I was lucky if I brought my pencil home. <laughs> Just that's where I was at. You know, I wasn't devoted. I should have been, but I wasn't, especially when it came to things like math and algebra. Algebra, are you kidding me? You can't add letters. Letters are for writing. Numbers are for adding and subtracting and all that stuff. It, it doesn't work. So they're telling us we have to add letters together, and I'm like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. But years later when I was in college, it was different. And I had to figure out the drag coefficient for the wing of a 747. Need a lot of algebras, and I had to add a whole bunch of letters together just to figure the area of the wing was, it took a page or more. Because, you know, the area, to figure the area, it's, it's the height times the width, right? Piece of cake. If you've got a basic rectangle or a square, but when the thing is, it's like this big on one side, and then it kind of goes like this, and this side's got a little bit of a curve to it, and this one's got a curve, and then a, and all this weird stuff, and, and then the top of the wing's got a curve like this, and the bottom is flat. How do you figure that out? You don't, not with adding a whole bunch of letters. <laughs> it, you know? And I came to a frightening revelation as I was going through this one day, and I was like, I love this. It was fun. And I looked at myself, yeah, and I said, man, boy, your cheese has done slipped off your cracker. It just, I, but, but I did. I loved it. What was the difference? What was the difference? Well, I was motivated. I was motivated to learn, partly because I had my own money invested in the whole project, so that makes a difference, doesn't it? <laughs> you discover that after high school as well. Having your own money, having some skin in the game, as they say, it made a big difference. I was dedicated, because if I wanted to be a pilot in the Navy, I had to get this right. But I was devoted to learning. I was hungry to learn, and not just aerodynamics, but a bunch of other stuff, too. And it was exciting. It was a challenge. It was like this puzzle you had to solve. It's like, yeah, give me another wing. You know, whatever. I don't care. You know, give me another one. It was fun. But I was, it's because I was devoted. And the early, the early believers, I think they were hungry too. They were devoted, not just to somebody's teaching, but to learning. They had, had spent their whole lives and generations waiting for something like this. And here's the Messiah, and he finally comes, and they kill him. What? This isn't the way it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. God, you must have made a mistake. What's going on here? And then the Holy Spirit comes, and people are speaking in tongues, and that wasn't expected. What's this all about? You think they didn't have some questions? 
They were hungry to learn, to learn more, to dig in, not just to the Scriptures, but to know who God is. What is He doing here? What's going on? How is all this stuff happening? And what's, what, what is this? And so they were, they were dedicated and devoted to learning. And all this stuff was happening right in the midst of, the, of, of their, their day, daily lives. We'll go back to Joel uh, 2, 28 and 29. And this is right from Joel. It says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And lo and behold, there it was, just like God had said. How amazing would that be to be a part of that? That would be incredible. And so they were wanting to learn every day. And as the, the great theologian Forrest Gump once said, Mama always said, the day's wasted if you don't learn something. Right? You got to learn something every day. It's, it's good. It keeps us alive. It keeps us going. And they were hungry. They were hungry for more. And I pray that we all would be hungry to learn, to learn more of God. All of those, those mind-bending, heart-exploding, life-changing more of who God is and what His Word says. Because there is so much there, and it's absolutely amazing. And we get to walk in these days discovering all that stuff. And it's fantastic. So they were de devoted to learning and teaching the uh, devoted to the apostles or the disciples' teachings. They were also devoted to fellowship. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 you know, three fellows in a ship, right? That's, that's what it is. It's a, no, 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 no. Fellowship, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. You've probably heard that before as well. And it means a participation with or a sharing in something. And that's an important part of our life as a, as a corporate body. Uh, I want to look at a few examples of that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Those words sharing, that is koinonia. It's a sharing or a participating in that thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 says, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to become sharers in demons. See, a lot of times I think we think that koinonia, it's a Greek word, therefore it must be just a church word, right? It's a koinonia, that's fellowship, that's hanging out with the family. There's a sharing that can happen that is not of God, that God does not want us to be participating in. That sharing can go either way. And what he's saying is, I want you to be sharing, participating in those things that are good and right and holy, that God wants us to be participating in and connected with. That's the kind of koinonia, the kind of fellowship that we need, that God wants for us 
And it's really important that we keep, keep those things, you know, keep that understanding clear in our heads. That koinonia is for, for good and godly things. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship, koinonia, has light with darkness? So this idea of, of being connected with, related to, sharing with, who is it or what is it that we're sharing with and connected to? It's really important. Romans 15.26 says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. That word for contribution? Koinonia. There's a sharing that is going on. Even though they were miles apart, there was an opportunity to share and say, you know what, we've got some access. Let us help you. Let us bless you and encourage you. And there's a sharing that it's not based on just physical proximity, but an emotional and spiritual, a heart-to-heart connection that really is important. And we can do that. We can share with family members within the body, with other churches here in town, with, with missionaries across the world. That's fellowship. That's that koinonia, that sharing in and participating in the work of the kingdom. And we need to be devoted to that kind of fellowship. Hebrews 13, 16, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So, so fellowship is not just about being in the same room at the same time. Now, there's a big, good part of that, yes, but it's not just that. And even if you're in the same room at the same time, that doesn't mean there's fellowship going on. You can be in the same room and be emotionally and mentally just checked out and not present, right? Like 12th grade English on a nice summer Friday. <laughs> your body's there, but your mind is far afield. You are not there. I did that many times. We got to be there. If we're going to be there, we need to be there. And that's it's a little bit more difficult for us folks that are, tend to be more introverted. You go to a potluck or a meeting of some sort, and you're all there in the room, and everybody, yada, 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 talking all over the place. But for us, us people that are a little bit more introverted, it's a bit more difficult. So my, my encouragement to you if, is if you're at a potluck or whatever sort of gathering, and you see somebody over there having a really intense personal conversation with their salad, um, maybe go over and just introduce yourself or say hi. Get us out of our box. You know, drag us, grab us by the ear, you know, and say, hey, come on, get involved. Because a lot of times it's just not our tendency because we'd rather talk to our shoes or, or whatever it is. Um, my, my brother-in-law, who's an engineer out at INL, always told me that, that the difference between an introverted, ex, uh, introverted engineer and an extroverted engineer is an introvert will look at his shoes when he's talking to you. An extroverted engineer will look at your shoes while he's talking to you. <laughs> so keep your eye out for us introverts, you know, because we need help, you know. <laughs> we need help. But we've, oh, we've got to be there. If we're in the room, we've got to be there. We've got to be involved. We've got to be present because that's a huge, huge part of fellowship, and we've got to be devoted to that. And the early church was devoted to that. 
that we're devoted to one another and having that fellowship and that sharing in with one another. They were also devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, there's been a lot of questions of, well, what does that mean? Does that just mean the Lord's Supper? Because, you know, the Lord's Supper, we always say, ah, they broke the bread, and, and the Catholic Church, they break it. And it's like, well, what is, is that just a religious ceremony, or, or what is that? Well, I want to take a look at a few verses and, and try to figure out what, what it means when it says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Acts 20, starting in verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to uh, leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Y'all be grateful I'm not Paul. We could be here a while. You know, it's like, bring a lunch to church. Yeah. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up, and he had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then he left. And they took away the boy alive and greatly comforted. Comforted that the boy was alive and comforted that Paul was done talking. It was a long thing, right? A couple of things in here. Number one, I'm, I, I can't help but look at the situation and think, all right, number one, Eutychus is sitting on the windowsill, not OSHA approved, otherwise he wouldn't have fallen out. It would have had protectors, so uh, just, just an observation. But Paul just goes on and on and on, and poor Eutychus just falls asleep, falls out the window. And what does Paul do? I'm thinking Paul's got to work on his people skills. Because he goes down, falls on the kid, embraces him, said, the kid's alive. Let's go get some food. And they go back up and break bread and, and, and eat. I'm like, Paul, Paul, come on. You know, mom and dad are probably, they're just freaking out. And Paul just, yeah, he's alive. Let's go eat. <sighs> I, I, you know, but who am I to criticize Paul? I mean, you know, he wrote most of the New Testament, so I didn't. Uh, but I thought that was so interesting. But as you look through this story, there's never a mention of the cup that is common during communion. So they weren't just there having communion. It was a regular meal. They were there just eating and talking, and Paul did most of the talking, and they probably did most of the eating. But it was just a regular, a regular meal. Then there's the story about Paul when he's on a ship, and it's about to get shipwrecked, and it's not a good situation in Acts 27. And starting in verse 33, it says, Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. I'm like, wow, 14 days. I've done a three-day fast, and that was good, but 14 days at sea working, and that, that's rough. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. So here's another example of just people just eating. But Paul gives thanks for that. He takes a moment and says, thank you, God, for food, and he blessed it. 
And that's not anything that's unusual to us, is it? Most of us probably do that when we're having a meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. It's, it's, it's a common thing. And, and back in those days, it was also a very common thing. Um, Acts 2.46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Again, sharing meals together, having potlucks. I don't know if they called it a potluck back then or whatever it was, but they were sharing their meals together. All right, you guys bring some, some falafel, and you guys bring some shawarma, and you guys bring some pomegranates or, or whatever. But they were sharing those meals in common and breaking bread together and having their meals uh, as a family. Uh, Luke 22, verse 19 says, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is part of a Passover celebration. And it's from this where we, where we get our, the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, depending on what you want to call it. And that is very much a special, you could call it a religious event. It's, a, it's part of the liturgy and something special and unique above and beyond just a regular meal during the course of the day. But there was a prayer and a blessing, and it was part of that as well. So this idea of breaking bread was also there as well. Um, Mark 6.41 says, He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving it to the disciples to set before them. So this was another meal, regular meal, a very big meal, very big meal. But it was the same idea. You're going to have a meal, you break bread, and you give thanks to God and pray for God's blessing on the meal. And remember years ago, uh, Michelle and I were at a, a conference in Lviv, Ukraine, and we, a group of us went out to dinner with a, a, a rabbi that was there, we all sat down, and the food came out, and so one of the pastors that was with, in the group um, said, well, let's say grace. And so he, you know, said a prayer and, and asked God to bless our meal. And the, and the rabbi kind of chuckled, and he said, you know, he said, we do that too, but he said a lot of times in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish tradition, we say a prayer of thanks after the meal. And the reason is because you never know. Maybe this blessing didn't taste so good, you know. <laughs> part of their culture, but saying a prayer along with a meal was not an unusual thing. And it wasn't for them, and it's not for us. But it's just part of that breaking bread together, having our meals together. There's another interesting story in Luke 24. It's on the road to Emmaus, and you're probably familiar with it. But I want to read this story because I think it's just really, really cool. It says, uh, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're, as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad, and one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? I mean, he had to have been shocked because the whole city was in turmoil. 
everybody knew. Everybody. And Jesus is coming along and saying, well, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? Really? You don't know? And, and he said, he said, you don't know about all these things? And Jesus says, what things? Which I think is great. I can just imagine they're just trying to keep a straight face because I can't imagine that Jesus was not having fun with this. Right? Just, oh, really? I can't, who would have imagined? You know, I, just, I think, you know, it reveals some of God's sense of humor, I think. It's just so cool. But he says, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of an angel who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. I would have loved to see, you know, that's the, 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 what's the MasterCard commercial, you know, you know $1,000 for that picture when he's, he, they recognize him and then he's gone. And they're like, what? <laughs> we just recognize you and he's gone. I would have loved to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen that. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen, and he has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And I've always wondered, what was it about that that opened their eyes or caused them to see, or what was it? Because they were traveling down the road, and he was teaching and explaining the, the Scriptures, which back then, when it says the Scriptures, it was the Old Testament. They didn't have New Testament then. So he is quoting all of the Old Testament prophets, Moses and Isaiah and all these things, explaining all of that pointing to himself and teaching them, which I'm sure he had done before many times. Why did they not recognize him there? But they get to the house, they sit down, 
and he breaks the bread and blesses it, and their eyes are opened, and then he's gone. And I don't know why that is not, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get like spiritually spooky and think that there's something special in the breaking of, of bread and having a meal together and saying a blessing that it does something supernatural and, and strange. Um, I, I wouldn't go that far, but there was something about that, maybe just because they had done it so many times before, that there was something in that, maybe the way he did it or just the words he said or whatever, but they had that time of fellowship and that breaking of bread, sharing a meal together, which is a very close and intimate thing with people. It's, you, you only, generally, you only have a meal with people you're at peace with. You, you're not generally going to have a meal with your enemies. So they're having a meal together, and he speaks a blessing over the bread, breaks it and passes it out, and, and they recognize him. That must have been really something to see. So my conclusion in all of that is, well, what does it mean to break bread? I think for the most part, breaking bread is simply referring to meals that they shared together, breakfast, lunch, dinner. That's what it means. But there were times where they broke bread that it was something special, like on a Shabbat meal or Passover. So it can be both of those things. My, my contention is that they did both of those things. They were devoted to sharing meals, breaking bread together, having their meals together. I think they were also devoted to celebrating the Passover and breaking that bread and remembering who God is, what He had done, not just the Passover from Egypt, but the Passover lamb who had just died for the sins of the world. They broke bread and remembered that as well. But having this devotion amongst ourselves to break bread, to have meals together. It's an important thing. I think it's something that, that God wants us to do. And so, Mark, that's why I'm inviting myself over to your house for dinner tonight. So count on me being there. We can break bread together. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but it's an important thing that God wants us to do, and it was something that they were devoted to. And I think it's something that we need to be devoted to, having a taco bar, breaking, breaking tacos together. Does that work? I don't know. I guess the, the shells are technically bread. I don't know. But having that fellowship, sharing a meal, being together with each other, and sharing time in the Lord and, and fellowship is, is a, it's a good thing. It's an important thing that God wants us to do. So they were devoted to teaching and to learning they were devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. And in a way that seems just kind of like, oh, yeah, of course, they're, you know, they're new believers, they pray. But you think about what they just went through. They just experienced what Joel and all the other prophets had prophesied hundreds and thousands of years before. And here's the Messiah. And he arrived, and he's finally here, and we killed him. That's not the way it was supposed to happen. What do we do now? What's next? And then the Holy Spirit is poured out, and people are speaking in tongues, and people getting saved all over the place. That wasn't expected or planned for. 
I have a feeling that a lot of the prayers that they had were, oh God, what do we do now? How do we handle? I mean, can you imagine if something happens and 3,000 people get saved and all of a sudden we got 3,000 people that we're trying to cram inside the Bridge Church? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun, but it would be a challenge, right? And do you think there might be some prayer amongst the, the pastor staff and the, 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 the board saying, oh, God, how do we do this? How do we handle this? We need your wisdom because it's, if it's up to us, we're going to mess it up. So I think a lot of it was they, they were asking God for wisdom and guidance, saying, God, help us to know how to do this and to learn and to grow and, and all that. Protection, I'll bet they were asking for protection because a lot of the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, there was a lot of persecution coming against them because the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the religious elite viewed these new believers as, as a cult. It wasn't just a new religion like a new Baptist church set up on the corner because they, they still ate kosher, they went to the temple, they went to the synagogue, they, they, they were Jewish, and they didn't stop being Jewish. And for the, the religious leaders, that was a big problem because they're saying, no, 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 this is not according to doctrine. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so there was a bit of a schism there, and there was a problem. And even Paul later on, he was persecuting the church. So there was, there was definitely a need for protection and, and reconciliation and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then just provision, providing for their families, you know, and for their crops. And what about all these new believers that are getting saved? How do we take care of them? And how's God going to provide? So they were devoted to prayer as we should be. And I think we are. But you know what? We can always get better at prayer, can't we? Um, I, I know I can. Um, full transparency, prayer for me is not one of the things that is kind of like my, um, my instant reflex. If, if we have something's going on, I, we had a friend in, uh, in Kiev, his name was Joey. I love that guy because he would pray at the drop of a hat anytime. You know, I lost my phone. And I'd say, well, let's go look for it. Joey would say, let's pray. We had, you know, anything, big, small, what, wherever, here's the situation. And Joey would say, let's pray about it. Let's ask God about it. I love that. I'm just not very good at it. And I need to be a lot better at it. I need to be more devoted to that. I need to have that more in my mind. Because it's just not my, my first response a lot of the time. Sometimes it is. But I need to get a lot better at that. And I think as a body, we can always improve on, on a lot of things. But for me specifically, that's, that's uh, a, a big thing. So they were devoted to all these things. Now, the Greek word devoted there really means to endure, to endure something, to tarry or to remain somewhere, to continue steadfastly with someone or to cleave faithfully to someone or to something. And that, that ability to be devoted and steadfast to one another's. You know, we, we, we talk about, you know, dogs being a devoted, it's just such a devoted puppy, especially if it's a beagle or a black lab, you know, right? Those guys are so cute. Their devoted puppy dogs are great. Chihuahuas, I don't think, really count when it comes to that. It, it, just, it just doesn't work. 
Um, but they're devoted. We talk about our spouse being devoted. We talk about being devoted to a cause or, or all sorts of things. And it means that we are fully committed, that we are sold out, and we will, we will invest our time, our money, our, resource, our resources, our effort, and our energy into that thing. And we need to be devoted to one another, devoted to the body, to encourage, to pray, to bless, to have meals together, all of those things. God wants us to be devoted to each other, devoted to the body, and staying in that close relationship with one another and, and those other things as well. So can we do that? Can we do that? Can we be devoted to one another? Yeah. Amen. We need to be devoted, devoted to God, devoted to one another, devoted to these things that go a long way to build us up as a body, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to help reach the lost. That's, that's the call. And as Pastor Dave gets here in the next week or two or whenever that works out, this shouldn't change. Amen. It'll be kind of like for the, the early church. There was a whole lot of things that were new, different, unexpected. It was a change. It shouldn't change anything for us. There will be some change, but we should still be devoted to one another, devoted to teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and all of those things that glue us together and help us be strong and alive and vibrant as a body of believers to reach out to southeast Idaho with the love of Christ. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us and that you are devoted to us. God, you are so faithful to get us from where we're at to where you want us to be. And Father, we look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, our creator and our redeemer. And we submit and commit ourselves into your hands and ask that you would help us be devoted to these things and be devoted to one another so that we can share your love with those that need it and who don't know you. So help us, Father, to have that devotion to one another and to you and to keep our eyes focused on Jesus as we take your love and your word into a lost world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. If you need prayer, there will be people up here that will be more than happy to pray for you. And in the meantime, say hello to an introvert somewhere and have a cup of coffee, fellowship, and, and enjoy being the body. Amen? Amen. Amen.